0: Hi, podcast listeners. This is your host, Jenna Picor, and I'm so excited to bring you our episode for today. If you are a first-time listener or a listener who has been with me since day one and you love what I'm doing, I want to encourage you to support the podcast by giving a small donation. I love bringing you new faces and interviews, but it does take time and resources to do it. And any support you'd be willing to give goes towards website upkeep, travel, time and costs and would help me greatly to keep doing what I'm doing. Give your support by going to paypal.me backslash Faces of Grand Prairie. On today's episode, we have a special out of town guest, Mr. Mike here. Mike is the manager of the Aransas County Airport in Rockport, Texas, as well as a veteran of the United States Air Force. And was one of the key point people during Hurricane Harvey and in the cleanup and rebuilding of the city after. He talks with me about how he got into a career in aviation and air traffic control, what it was like to be in the midst of a category 4 hurricane, how he handled getting a visit from the Vice President of the United States just a few days after the storm, and his feelings of love and appreciation for his fellow Texans as they came together to help the town of Rockport recover. Mike is a dear friend of mine, and I'm so grateful he agreed to let me talk to him, and I think that you'll find him just as interesting as I always do. Enjoy. Hello, Mike. How are you?
1: Hi. Good morning. Doing good.
0: Good morning. And just to let everybody know, I did not get to go down all the way to Rockport to go um, interview Mike today, although um, I just got to see him and um, his wife just a few weeks ago. So we're doing this over the phone, but the way that I know Mike is my best friend, Reagan, uh, when she lived up here in DFW and we worked together, we met Mike when he lived in DFW and they ended up, um, he, he got a job down in Rockport and um, so they moved down there a few years ago, but um, I was able to go down and visit and have been down there several times and one of the reasons I asked Mike to join me today is because he was... Um part of the uh, during the Hurricane Harvey, he was part of the um, the key people that was kind of helping with that effort of going through that hurricane and then the cleanup afterwards. And I thought you'd be a very good person to talk about the city, how the city kind of came together to deal with the national disaster and that type of thing. So I just really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're working today. So you're taking an hour. That's all right. Today. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, this is
1: my lunch break.
0: Oh, good. <laughs> so you're just sacrificing <laughs> eating. That's, that's nothing. <laughs> I
1: may, I may actually eat while we record, but you won't hear me. <laughs>
0: okay. <good. laughs> so tell me, Mike, how did you get into the aviation industry?
1: Well, um, you know, I guess it, as, as anybody that has ever been in the aviation business, it started when they were a kid, you know, just having the desire to be around and work around <laughs> planes, but ultimately, um, I probably didn't have the resources that some kids have uh, whenever I was younger to to actually get to fly a lot. In fact, the first time I ever flew on a plane uh, was after I'd enlisted in the U.S. Air Force. And I flew by my very first time to San Antonio to go to boot camp. And uh, wow, was the, the really. Yeah, I was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was 20 years old. I'd never even been on a plane. So, uh, but, you know, so uh, go figure. I was fascinated with planes and wanted to be around them, wanted to work around them, but I'd never actually even been on one until I was 20 years old. And, and
0: after uh, you joined the Air Force. Uh,
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, right. So after I joined the Air Force, I flew all over the world. But um, I, uh, I was an air traffic controller. And so I had a, uh, most of my time in the Air Force really was training. I only did a four-year enlistment. Um, so, but, but as a controller, you, you train constantly and, uh, and and anytime you, you go to a new, uh, location, you have to train at that location because, uh, every place is different. You don't, you know, your altitudes are different. Your frequencies are different. Your patterns and procedures are different at every place. And so while there's some basic, um, phraseology and basic knowledge that, that goes with you to, uh, to everywhere you control traffic um, you know, there's, there's specificities that you have to learn at each place. And, uh, and not to mention you have two very different facets of air traffic control. You have radar and tower. Ah. And, uh, and I had certifications in both. And so i spent literally the entire time training. Wow. Uh, but yeah, so that's how I got into the, the business of working around planes and working around airports and learning, uh, learning how to speak the jargon it's, it's a it's a whole language right right in and of itself so
0: do you yeah. so
1: and that's the, that's kind of the key to me that's the key for just about any business if you want to sell drill bits or tires if you learn to speak the language you know you can be good at it absolutely. and uh, you can fake it till you make it absolutely
0: you know? absolutely so you did now you grew up in dfw but you have ties to rockport or where did you grow up
1: Yeah. So the way that worked is I actually grew up in Fort Worth. I was born in Fort Worth and we moved around the state a little bit. My dad followed jobs uh, from Houston, uh, Waco, Tyler. We lived in Tyler uh, the longest other than Fort Worth, but uh, ended up back in Fort Worth in my high school years. And so that was always kind of home base for me. Uh, But um, yeah, so uh, the, um, the the where I the way how Rockport factors into it is my family both sides of my family my mother's side and my father's side used to come here uh from the 1950s on and uh so w- it was natural that we just kind of worked it into our family vacation every year and sometimes it was twice a year mm. and we'd come down just to go fishing go to the beach and go fishing and so I fell in love with Rockport. My, I know my sisters all did. And I think I remember even at a young age, we all decided that if we could one day, we'd all like to live down here. And now every one of right, us.
0: Right, right. Yeah, your your whole family lives down there. Um, and um, mm-hmm. it kind of factors into our story a little bit that your, your sister, your brother-in-law, and your niece are all, um, have been involved or are still involved with the Rockport Police Department. And uh, which kind of mm-hmm. factors into you know, as we go on and kind of talk about how this all transpired, you know, with the, with the hurricane, you know, how a city kind of comes together and deals with that. But um, so for, I know that you got offered that job to go down there. So explain to people, because this is a private airport, but explain to them how that works when it comes to like the federal government and the FAA and all that kind of stuff when it comes to the type of airport that you manage.
1: Sure. Well, it actually is not a private airport. It's just the opposite. It's a public airport. And that's one of our grant requirements. Um, as far as our assurances go, we have to remain public. We can't ever privatize it. The day we privatize, we have to pay back every grant we've had for the last 30 years, which is just absolutely impossible. So we have an obligation to remain public and to remain operating as an airport. Moreover, a lot of people don't understand that. They think you can just shut an airport down and move it and or, or whatever, but really you can't. You know, you have obligations if you've ever taken grant money uh and and most every airport has but once you take that grant money you're beholden to operate the land that it sits on as an airport in some shape form or fashion now you know you can make decisions on how big you want to make it how much you want to bring it scale it back you know you want to maintain a runway don't maintain a runway you know we're not going to have this procedure or instrument approach whatever but uh you know you still have an obligation to maintain it as an airport so no we're very public Uh, And we get our money, and again, the same way that most airports get their money, Uh, we we sell a lot of fuel. We have some hangars that we rent. We have land leases, uh, and then the grants. You know, and the grants, while it may some years it may only be five or ten percent of our income or our revenue, um, there's still you have to have those to sustain because uh, grants are. uh, It's while it may look like free money, you know, you have the assurances that you have to adhere to, but it kind of it is free money in that you can do some really big projects right um, right with with that federal money and so this is a uh we're a non-primary entitlement airport and in, uh and in, and in, in moreover we're a general aviation airport so you may look at something like dfw and that's a primary entitlement airport and it's commercial aviation so it, they get their money out of a completely different uh, uh pot than, than we do but All of our grants are derived from aviation-related taxes. So the average taxpayer really doesn't pay a whole lot into the pot that we get our money out of, unless you fly a lot. Gotcha. uh, Unless you fly commercially, some of that money comes out of the seat for the plane. Some of it comes out of what the airline had to pay for the fuel. Um, It also comes from our own fuel sales. But uh, so, yeah, the average citizen doesn't pay a whole lot into any airport unless they fly so what about in my airport this airport in particular we don't take a single tax dollar from the local uh tax base so out of the county even though we are a county operated airport uh, we have an enterprise fund which means uh, we make our own revenue and uh, and we 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 put the money up for our own budget every year and um and, and and we have to make money to sustain ourselves if we don't then we have to we have to look at our business model and maybe retool a little bit but right now you know, it's kind of a time of flux. Obviously, we had the hurricanes; so we don't know what normal is yet. But, um, yeah, the, the day that we don't make money at this airport, we have to kind of step back and take a look at how we're Right. Doing
0: well, to give to give the listeners some perspective, because all, all of our listeners are from Grand Prairie, you're, you're familiar with Grand Prairie. You've lived in DFW. Oh,
1: I know. well. I have I uh, believe it or not, I've got customers here that uh, on my airport. and I think I've told you about yeah, a couple yeah. of them that are. Uh, uh, we're former citizens of Grand Prairie that have gone off and seen the world, and for whatever reason landed in Rockport. So yeah, that, I, I know some folks that know you. That's right. We'll talk about that,
0: too. that was funny that day yeah. whenever we, you made that connection. I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, what a small world. So I know that right. to give them some perspective, because I know that in their minds they're probably thinking of the Grand Prairie Municipal Airport, which would be pretty similar. If you mm-hmm. go down to see your airport, the two of them look kind of the same as far as like the size and the amount of land and all that stuff. Yeah. So do the two
1: Mm -hmm. function in the same way? Yeah, we're both GA airports, stands for general aviation. So airports are classified as uh, general aviation. That's your small country, rural airport. Then you have reliever airport, which is a little bit bigger. They can take uh, like your... Uh, your regional flights and then you have your commercial airports your big ones that are uh, that are really super hardened and the TSA has their grip on it but uh, so yeah so in in that area right down there where you're talking about where Grand Prairie is uh, Grand Prairie is a general aviation airport but if you go over to Arlington Municipal it's it's more of a reliever type I gotcha and they share, they all share airspace with DFW. It's, it's amazing to think about how they manage that airspace, but they, you know, it's, it's a tough job, but they get it done. Well, yeah. But yeah. So we're, we're real similar to, to Grand Prairie. We probably have about twice the land right. that GP mm-hmm. has, but uh, very similar operation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You've explained to me about, we could have a whole nother talk call just about how air traffic, like how you manage the airspace in terms of where people fly and the level. I mean, mm-hmm. Mike and I have had so many conversations about this. It's very interesting. But, um, but even though you guys are set up that way, y'all still are under the advisement of the FAA, which is the federal, what does sure. that stand for? Federal Aviation
1: Administration. Uh-huh. And so, yes, we are absolutely under, uh, we, we operate under their guidelines, everything we do. Um, they they have uh, FA, F, FARs, which are federal aviation regulations. And then we we have a section um, or a part that we operate under and uh, under under that part, there's guidelines on what we can and can't do, what kind of training we have to have to fuel certain type of aircraft. Uh, We can actually fuel and handle charter aircraft here, even though our only charters that we deal with are going to be like helicopters that ferry, uh, offshore workers out to the rigs and back. Gotcha.
0: So, So, um, and so what we were kind of talking about was you also have weather, um, weather tracking equipment and whether, whether so mm-hmm. talk about kind of how the National Weather Service uses, you know, when we're kind of starting to talk about a storm and, you know, conditions of flying, how does that function into your airport? Like, how do y'all monitor all that?
1: Well, our, um, our airport weather observation system is uh, maintained and owned actually by the National Weather Service. So it's equipment that's on our airport, which is not uncommon. It happens at all, most little airports. With the with the small exception that we don't own it, we don't maintain it. the The National Weather Service does all that, so we actually have a pretty good setup, and uh, and and we don't have to put any money aside for uh, to budget for repairs for the for the AWOS, which is and the AWOS again is a huge piece of equipment that can measure wind speed, it can measure your ceilings, it can measure visibility, uh, precipitation, temperature, dew point, humidity you know your barometric pressure everything and uh but the national weather service gets their information their weather information historical data for rockport from the uh, from the equipment on our field so while it may be raining at my house two miles away and it's not raining here we didn't get any rain that day if you know what i mean uh for for a from a a a record keeping uh standpoint so
0: Are they allowed to, like, how do y'all determine if the weather is too bad? Who gets to make that decision? If the weather's too bad, you say we're not going to do flies. So
1: yeah. So remember the FARs I talked about earlier, the federal aviation regulations, there's, there are stipulations in there that talk about uh, what your minima are to be able to, uh, to fly or operate in, in certain airspace and and whatnot. But you know, our minima here are, uh, I think it's a, um, we have a, quarter mile visibility and 250 feet ceiling, I think. So it's pretty low. You can implement approaches that'll bring you right directly to the runway within a feet or a foot or two. Um, so, you know, really it's just, how brave are you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> when do you want, when do you need to see the runway? When do you want to punch out of the clouds and, and or, or call your, uh, call, call your go, no go right. point. So, uh, but yeah, so we can, we operate, and, and our winter here, is never that it's really cold it's just that we have really low ceilings all day long for weeks right and that's today is actually a really nice day but it's a it's a break uh, because all this week so far has been bad all next week is going to be bad so yeah we we really rely on those instrument approaches but uh so yeah the fa the faa has weather minima so they have you have two types of flight you have visual flight rules and then you have instrument flight rules and uh, if you're on the ground in instrument flight rule conditions, it's called IMC, which is instrument meteorological conditions. But if you're flying, you're in, and in, in, in you're flying in the soup or you're flying in the clouds or whatever, or above a certain altitude, you're flying what's known as IFR, instrument flight rules. And, uh, that for, on, as far as an airport is concerned, that number that we're looking for is a ceiling of 300 feet or less and visibility less than a mile. And at that point you're, Oh, I'm sorry, thousand feet visibility, thousand feet ceiling, and visibility of three miles. So once you, uh, once those minima have been exceeded, then you're in instrument or in, in, instrument meteorological conditions on the ground, which means you have to have your lights on, you have to have your beacon on, you have to. Uh, there's a whole other set of rules that you operate wow.
0: by. Wow, and and how far is the airport away from the coastline, from the ocean?
1: I have coastline. There's coastline on both sides of the airport. So the airport property actually consists of about a mile of beachfront. Uh, We'll never develop it. It would be uh, counterproductive. Yeah, it would be counterproductive for the airport to develop the land that it owns on the beach, because uh, anytime you start sticking something in airspace, then it uh, affects your instrument approaches. It affects safety. And uh, the most valuable thing this airport has, the most valuable thing that most airports, most general aviation airports have, are their instrument approaches. Uh, they cost a lot of money to shoot. They're very uh, uh, valuable with, uh, with respect to, you know, what kind of planes you can land at your airport. And if you can land a big plane that's capable of flying that instrument approach in bad weather, then you're probably going to get a fuel sale out mm. of it. And that's what you're, you're trying to attract at the end of the day. End of the day. Right. So, Uh, Yeah. So uh, the instrument approaches are we guard those uh, uh, with everything that we have. So uh, in speaking of that, we we actually own air easements over the top of certain properties um, Mm. in in in, uh, that that are uh, that are over the runway approaches. So we have two landing strips, but they're actually four runways. Each each end is considered its own runway. And uh, of the four runways we have, of the four approaches, we have navigation easements over three of them. And the one that we don't, we just don't need it because it's ocean.
0: Our episode today is brought to you by Dubisky High School's Aviation Technology Pathway. The GPISD Aerospace Academy, ninth through 12th grade, is a first-of-its-kind, comprehensive and ambitious program to prepare students for a career in the aerospace industry. This unique high school program of choice involves a career technical education CTE component, as well as a rigorous college preparatory side with dual credit and advanced placement courses. Partnerships with aerospace companies provide internships, program support, and hands-on learning opportunities. While in the program, students may receive CTE program certifications, which lead to FAA industry certifications as an air traffic controller, aviation mechanic, a pilot, or unmanned aircraft systems UAS drones. To find out more about this and other amazing pathway programs, call Dubisky High School at 972-343-7800. To give people an idea um, of what the demographic of as far as Rockport looks like, there are a lot of people that do fly into that airport, and there's a lot of people that vacation yeah. in Rockport, and there's a lot sure. of really big, beautiful houses that are in Rockport that are sometimes secondary vacation homes, um, yeah. and I'm kind of trying to set the stage for like when we start talking about the storm in a city like the one that you have, as in terms of understanding how much stuff was actually in this town in terms of boats and airport, I mean, and airplanes and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys do have um, a lot of people that come down and, and stay there for times. And, and we are talking about in August, which means that you're still in vacation mm-hmm. season. There's still people that are visiting because of the summer. So, yeah. um, so kind of talk about a little bit, when y'all start to see a storm coming off the coast like that, how do you, when did y'all make the determination that it was so severe that y'all needed to start evacuating? Because that did happen. Um,
1: yeah, right. So uh, let, me, let me address one thing that you said, uh, and then I'll, I'll get to that. So Rockport is a vacation spot for everybody in Texas. It's the, it's, it's the little darling of right. Texas, but it's also uh, world famous for fishing. Right. And, uh, we have, I mean, our guide uh, industry here is, uh, is, is along with tourism, our guiding is, industry is, uh, really kind of what drives this town. But, uh, so yeah, we've had, you know, George Strait has a house here. He still has it. Uh, he was in here right after the hurricane and, and trying to do everything he could to help us, uh, with the recovery process, uh, people that I've seen just since I've been here, Johnny Depp, Harrison Ford, uh, uh let's see uh, margaritaville jimmy buffett <laughs> and uh, you know alan jackson so it's got there's a lot of really famous right. people that come through here and those are just those are people that you know of but you, you know those are all there's also people that you may not know of that are like business execs right. that uh you know, that, that own oil companies or own uh, chemical companies Strings or whatever that, that come here too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. Right. Yes. Exactly. We have another one of those. I'll, I'll, I'll leave him nameless. Yes. But yeah, we have uh, one. Of, he flies in right. routinely, has a house here, has a house in Fort Worth. And he flies back and forth. But uh, so uh, that, yeah, it, 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 it affected more than just the people of Texas when Rockford exactly. got hit. But uh, and, and so as, consequently, we had we have a lot of people helping out. Uh, Other than just Rockportians and Texans. And by the way, there's nobody helps out in a disaster more than Texans do, especially a disaster in Texas. But if you have a disaster in a neighboring state, Texans are going to go help you. But but definitely if something happens within the state, you can count on people from Amarillo, Abilene, Mm -hmm. Athens. Uh, they're all going to come. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, you never really know until you see mm-hmm. it happening, but i tell you this, I we owe a big debt of gratitude to all the people of Texas and we're going to pay it forward. Anytime we get the mm-hmm. opportunity, we don't want to, but if we have to, yeah. we will. Um, but uh, so yeah, it, uh, you, you inquired about when did we make our decision about what we mm-hmm. we're going to do? So that kind of, you kind of have a plan going in. Um, to any hurricane season, any year, and so the fortunately, I think for our community is uh, our county judge requested back in June of seventeen. So this is before we could have ever fathomed uh, Harvey. Uh, he asked for every department to every department head to come up with their hurricane plan if they haven't updated it recently to, to update it and send it in. So we all did, and we all evaluated, and we had um, workshops, and we compared notes, and we all kind of decided what was going to be the best thing for each department and dovetail that let me let me start uh, right here goals. because i think it's
0: important yeah. you're you're fema certified as well correct you are yeah. yes
1: yeah i've had some i can tell you right now that i didn't use any. It. <laughs> i just used i used uh just the good old boy network right, a lot right. uh if you've ever seen the movie shawshank yeah. redemption uh i was red for a long time <laughs> i was a man that knew how to get things you might call me a looter, but I was, I just feel like I was a man that knew how to acquire things that were needed. Yeah, but you, yeah, uh, that, so, that and made it was in
0: handy a... though. You were very important to how this all panned out. I just wanted people to understand that as far as you, you, you have a lot of experience in this area. And so that definitely helps a lot of things. So continue. I'm sorry. I just wanted to. Remember. No,
1: I, so I would say that uh, my wheeler dealer skills
0: helped <laughs> me more than anything
1: FEMA could have ever taught I me. And I get that from my <laughs> grandfather. He taught me to be a wheeler dealer. Yeah. So right. always give a fair shake to everybody, but walk away feeling like you got more to give. Uh, but anyway, uh, and I and I did a lot of three-way deals, four-way deals. You know, it was it, it was a big barter system uh, right afterwards. So it was you know you just do what you got to do to survive. You never right. know what you can do till you get in right. that position. I mean, I was bathing with a gallon jug of water until I saw my brother-in-law bathe with one third of a gallon <laughs> of water, and then I felt like I was uh, I was way too decadent in my in my bathing. So he. <laughs> I started bathing with a third of a a gallon of water. And so a gallon of water would last three days. Well, we'll talk
0: about that. We'll talk uh, about all that in just a second. Uh, So yeah, so back to June. No,
1: but uh, so when, so when we made our decision is, so going back to June of 17 and we all got together as a county and as a, as a local area, really, uh, and decided how we would handle a hurricane if it happened, we just kind of thought this is, we're never going to need it. You know, it's going to be one in a million shot if we ever get a hurricane. And then all of a sudden you have a, a, a when was the last time you'd depression? had one I think it was in the oh, 70s okay, gotcha. uh, the last time they'd had Celia or something I think down here or Camille Carla anyway uh, you know there hadn't been anything knocked down by a hurricane here in right, a lot of years Right. in fact I think the last hurricane that affected this area actually hit Corpus and Rockport was on the high water side so there was some gotcha. flooding and then a hundred years ago in 1919 uh, there was a a leveling hurricane that came through here and schwack Rockport port pretty good and uh, and the people there are still a few buildings that are around that were around then uh that, that are in some old photographs and stuff and you can see everything around them is underwater so that was it, we would have been in a lot worse shape if we would have been on the high water side of this hurricane fortunately we were just on the high wind mm. side uh, but but nevertheless so we we started in, in june and then everybody just kind of put their uh, plans on the back burner. And then all of a sudden we had the tropical depression that was moving across the Yucatan and we started perking up and paying attention and national weather service started getting involved. We have a guy in Corpus that's a hurricane expert and uh, the County defers to him for everything as far as warnings and evacuation orders and emergency declarations and everything. So he, uh, he became a big player at, at that time. And I think the hurricane hit on a Friday and uh, that was like Monday or Tuesday that we started watching this depression. Mm. Uh, and I think that was actually still out in the Atlantic at that time. And some of the models were showing that it could come into the Gulf. Well, then we get in. Now, flash forward to Wednesday. I'm going to meetings probably three times a day at this point. We're, we're having uh, briefings from the National Weather Service on what to expect and how it could be. And now they're starting to kind of put a cone of uncertainty over, you know, basically from Port Mansfield which is at the tip of Texas, all the way up to Galveston. And then uh, so, and and at that time, Harvey had just come across and was in the Gulf and was now a tropical depression on its way to becoming a tropical Mm. storm. I don't know timelines a lot from there because everything runs together. uh, But I'll tell you this, we know now that it went from a tropical depression to a hurricane in 40 hours. So this, this is why this is why that number uh, is important because my plan was a 72 hour. Ah. So I had a 72 hour plan for a hurricane in the Gulf, not just a tropical depression that came across the Yucatan, but a hurricane coming into the Gulf of Mexico. And, uh, that was kind of what the standard was. You make a 72 hour plan. Well, Mike Tyson said one time about one of his opponents, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So, we got punched right in the mouth, so our plan kind of was not really a plan at all. It wasn't anything that I was living by anymore. We were just doing what we could to survive. So it was a lot of things. There were a lot of things that were mitigating factors in, uh, uh, I think, in uh, how 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 we took the hurricane whenever it happened. We probably could have been readier for it, but uh, but in reality, you know, you just you you just have to react. And so we, I had in my list of things that we were going to do just, I'll give you a quick example. Uh, we, we have hurricane, uh, plexiglass that we were going to put on the, uh, the airport terminal building. And we did, we put it on the airport terminal building all the way around. So the way this plexiglass goes, goes on, it's corrugated, but you can see through it. So it looks kind of like sheet metal, but it's, it's clear plastic. And, uh, we have a lot of windows on the terminal. So you take a you take a panel of it it's about four foot or well i guess it's about three foot wide and and however tall the window is they're custom cut and then you put it up onto the window and then there's these studs that are on channels at the top and the bottom of the window and you just line the holes up with the panel over those studs which is basically just a screw and then you put all of the, the the screws through the holes on the panel and then you tighten everything down with wing nuts and uh under ideal conditions it's probably not that difficult i had never done it Mm. um it didn't even simulate it but i just i gave it i i i gave it a unit of work that i thought it was going to represent um on my plan and so i thought this is going to take one guy oh, about four hours mm-hmm. to do the whole building you know and it ended up taking two guys two days oh, my gosh. to do it and so we uh, I, my budget for time was blown out of the water with that so what did that cost us well it cost us Having uh, bodies that could go around the airport and double check hangar doors, uh, double check uh, locks and cane bolts and things like that, that, you know, that really uh, could help shore up some of these buildings to, to, to stow loose items, to figure out a way to anchor portable buildings mm-hmm. and equipment and things like that. So. We're already kind of behind the gun. Eh? And I had two people that evacuated, two of my crew evacuated, and I wasn't planning on that. Mm. They weren't required to stay, but I'd had a verbal commitment from them that they would, and then they left. I'm yeah. uh, not saying anything bad about them. Everybody has the right to do what they want. I could have left, uh, but uh, I, cho- I chose to stay. But, and that was a decision I made with my wife and my mm-hmm. family. But the, but the thing about uh, the thing about running out of time, is, you know, that was never more evident than the next morning when I woke up and there was basically nothing left. Everything was gone. And and I had a few huge uh, feeling of guilt for a long time that there was, I should have done more. I should have tried more and planned better and worked harder. And I probably could have secured some doors because, you know, I mean, you're hearing now from engineers and people that are coming in and looking at your destruction. Well, you know, the wind obviously breached this door. And when the door breached, you lost the whole building. Uh, so, You know, what if I had checked that door and made sure that the cane bolts were down or the the chains were locked or something, you know, and I didn't get a chance to do that. So,
0: Mm.
1: uh, you know, Texas, Texas Department of Transportation Aviation Division asked me to to give a lessons learned and best practices presentation at one of the conferences that followed the hurricane. And I did. And, uh, uh, you know, going on what information I had at the time, I kind of basically told you told them what i just told you what i know now is uh, something completely different and i don't feel so bad about things anymore i think a lot of the buildings that we had here were not going to sustain a hundred and you know 30 or 40 miles an hour for as many hours right as they did. right the hurricane sat on us for 13 hours we had 13 hours of hurricane force winds we had 24 hours of tropical storm force winds so it's just like any other anything else that's made out of metal or mortar or, or, or brick or stick you, you you wobble it back and forth enough and it's going to break loose.
0: right right
1: and i think that's kind of what happened and i'm not saying that you know we did we had inferior structures here we, they could have been built to you know 120 130 miles an hour but uh you know back and forth over time is going to wear something out it's going to fall down so i don't feel as bad as i did uh, back then i feel very fortunate to survive it yeah um and and, and i probably wouldn't ever stay for another major hurricane again and a major hurricane is a cat three or higher uh but I think a cat two I'd probably go to the beach really yeah now, I'm not I'm not afraid of a cat two what was what was Harvey
0: <laughs> cat, cat four, four. so uh-huh. um so I'm glad that you mentioned that because when you when you say that Rockport really got hit by the wind obviously Houston got hit by the yep. water so it's two mm-hmm. different kinds of, de- of devastation, two different kinds of destruction, and so, um, right. and and Port Aransas. Well, Houston
1: got, got hit by level. Houston got hit by rainwater, right? And we also got rainwater. Houston got somewhere in the neighborhood of sixty inches of water, but Flooding. really, the, right. w- When I talk about when I talk about the the high water side of the hurricane, I mean the wave wall ah. that comes ashore, and that actually came ashore in Aransas County, but it just didn't come ashore in Rockport proper. That fortunately. And, and there's some people that will say no, unfortunately. But I think fortunately, where the wave water, where the high surge came ashore in Aransas County, was a largely agricultural mm. uh, part mm. of the county. So there was there was a community called Holiday Beach and Lamar. Uh, they're they're on the other side of the bridge from from the airport here, the big bridge going out of town. You mm-hmm. crossed it, and that's that's where the high water came ashore. So a lot of people in Holiday Beach, the the, the destruction. Uh, on a percentage basis was uh, much higher in uh, Holiday Beach and Lamar than it was in Rockport. and Folger.
0: Wow. Well, and it started yeah. like when I would drive in. So the way that I go is um, I go through Victoria and you started to mm-hmm. see, even in Victoria, you started to see trees that were, that were split in half, stuff like that. But,
1: well, Victoria, Victoria experienced a category one. hurricane.
0: Wow. And that's really far inland. I mean, yeah. that's, 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 that's what an hour away from, Rockport yeah um, uh-huh. um, right. so you started kind of seeing it there and then when you drove into Rockport I mean I remember I came down about a month after it happened and no I came down probably two weeks after it happened.
1: yeah you were you were real close yeah and it so
0: it was it was insane the amount of debris that there was in that town I mean it was mm-hmm. just crazy so um so after that happened Talk kind of a little bit about the infrastructure of a city when it goes through something like that, the, the plumbing and, and the, you know, the cell phone towers and how long that yeah. affected y'all after that hurricane hit.
1: Well, so, OK, you got uh, let's just let's take cell phone towers. They were non-existent um, telephone poles, utility poles. They were all snapped. A 100 percent of them were gone. And uh, the utility lines were down. There was no electricity. And keep in mind, we're, we're at the end of the line for electricity. So as they're repairing the electrical lines back toward the uh, supply station, uh, we, we're at the end of the line. So we went 21, 22, three days, something like that, without electricity mm. here. Uh, and I don't mean just at the airport. I mean countywide. Uh, water was off for a, a couple of weeks. And and the reason is is because so many houses were completely destroyed. Well, if your if your water department is if the lines are charged, and a house is gone, then water's just shooting up mm-hmm. out of the ground. So the, necessarily they had to turn the water off. Uh, and then the other problem you had was that sewer lines were open. Uh, the house that if a house is torn down and the toilets ripped off the flange, then you have a sewer line now mm. exposed. And you have flood waters. Well, where's that flood water going? It's going into your septic system or into your sewer lines. And since we, you know, we recycle the water here, that's it's flooding and overcharging our sewer lines. And uh, so we had way too much water in the system. Not just that it was bad water it, or, or rainwater it was just there was too much of it we couldn't process it. I
0: think that's totally safely. I you know of all the things that happened I think that that part of it is what people would be the most surprised about obviously you know that utility lines and cell phone towers during a windstorm gone but you don't think about the plumbing mm-hmm. you don't think about how that whole system yeah. works and so when I would get there I'm like why don't you have water plumbing is underground what does that have anything to do with it but then you started right. explaining it and I would it, it made total sense and it just it's it's crazy how much had to happen. Just to get the water turned back. Well, <laughs>
1: there's, there. trust me, there are people that are uh, a lot smarter than me that are on top of it. I have, I have, uh, I have a neighbor uh, that he's over the public works for the city. Mm. And uh, he's got skins on the wall. This guy is, a, he's a dude, man. He's been around and done a lot of things. And Rockport was very fortunate to have him decide he wanted to retire here. Well, he was goaded into oh. taking the position that he has. He would just as soon be fishing, but he actually... Uh, applied his wares as, uh, as our public uh, service manager. And, uh, and he knew what to expect. He, he had all that planned and ready to go. And it was, uh, it, and then they got it, they attacked it right away. And then it, it wasn't long before he was actually turning the water on for a few hours every day. Right, uh, you know, they had managed to turn off enough meters throughout t- the town that, that we were able to turn the water on for a little while. So, After a couple of weeks, we were able to get showers. But in the immediate
0: aftermath, one of the things that struck me as just crazy, y'all didn't have any electricity in any buildings, but you did have some generators. And you also had emergency Mm -hmm. personnel like police officers, some of them that did stay. Mm -hmm. Well, they were working very long hours. And they were using the building um, to to basically live out of, but without without sewage for a couple of days. So, you know... Can right. you imagine being a police officer that's working 12, 18 hour days, however long they were doing it, and having to live in a police building with all the other police officers there with toilets that don't flush or water that's not on?
1: And let me tell you, it, let me tell you something. There's the first rule about the uh, post-hurricane septic is you don't talk about (laughs) post-hurricane septic then i'll I'll tell you sometime other than on your (laughs) podcast about how that was handled but it was yeah i mean you just have to manage it like you manage everything else but it was horrible it was the nastiest thing you can imagine there's so much Uh, that goes into it
0: that people don't realize you know
1: yeah right yeah exactly every single aspect of your life is affected you know and uh i want to say this too before i forget so we have two uh big players in our town with respect to uh, like grocery stores. We have Walmart super center, and then we have H-E-B. All right. So H-E-B is a Texas based company. And so you can expect, I think you can expect a little bit more from any company that's Texas based. Any, any person that's from Texas, you can expect more from, it's just how we are. It's mm-hmm. in our blood. And, uh, and then you got Walmart, which is more of a, you know, corporate structure and uh and so they take their orders all the way from the top as opposed to letting anybody on the local level make decisions and i'm not going to bash walmart but i'm what i'm going to do is tell you how awesome ATB mm, mm-hmm. is so careful H-E-B because H-E-B you have a lot of green prairies single... that
0: really want an ATB in our town. so this will probably
1: y'all need to get one i'm telling you you need to get one they're real strong in south yeah. texas but i think there's maybe i don't know if there's just too much competition in yeah. North texas yep. or what it is but yeah, i think you have to go down to burleson to yeah. get one but uh but HEB was such a good partner for us. I mean, and that, that relationship continues. But they they were willing to do some things. And I'll just tell you right now, we don't have a morgue, okay, in mm-hmm. our county. Our, it's, we're a small county. We rely on uh, Nueces County, which is Corpus Christi, for all the uh, medical examiner and mortuary or morgue services, mm-hmm. rather. And uh, so HEB said, we're going to bring down a reefer unit. And uh, a reefer trailer, a refrigerated trailer. And they said, we will donate it as a morgue. And not full knowing that as soon as one dead body goes in that trailer, that trailer can never be used again to haul right. food or anything else. It will always be, it'll have to be destroyed essentially right. after that. And, and they didn't care. They brought it down because they knew we didn't have one. It had a generator running on it the entire time and it rode out the storm and it was ready to be here in the event that we needed to store bodies. And fortunately we didn't. Uh, You know, I think there were only two attributable deaths to Harvey and those were handled. uh, I think they were kind of found uh, later, Mm -hmm. you know, and they were they were able to be dealt with in the in the regular way. But so but that just tells you what kind of neighbor they are. That was an ugly thing to have to say. Right. But they were ready to volunteer for it. They were they did. And they were open quickly. Now, their store didn't get as much damage as Walmart did. Walmart got opened like a tuna can. But uh, HEB, they, they had a lot of damage, but they got right on it. I mean, there were 18 wheelers lined up to get into our town that had HEB's logo on the side. I had them stored out here at the airport. We've got a ton of ramp space. And we had them out here. They were full of water, full of food and goods and stuff like that. So they were that stuff was just pouring
0: in. Yeah, and I'll throw I'll throw um, oh, yeah. a shout out to another Texas-based company. Well, Texas was Texas-based at the time, which is Whataburger um, was one of the first restaurants that that was opened. And uh, when you had an influx of oh, people yeah. that come down there to help in a national disaster, you don't think about the fact that there's no food, there's no grocery stores that are open. You know That's all right. that stuff. So Whataburger opened up. And I just we drove, me and Reagan, your wife Reagan and I were driving down the street, uh-huh. and they were like free hamburgers, and I was like, Ur! you know, I turned around, and I swear it was probably the president of Walmart or Whataburger that was handing out hamburgers that day. That's <laughs> right, that's exactly yeah. what it was, uh, which is really really neat to see. Today's nonprofit spotlight is on Care Flight, located at 3110 Great Southwest Parkway in Grand Prairie. Care Flight is the only fully integrated medical transport company serving North Texas and offers medical transports in helicopters, airplanes, and ground ambulances. They operate six helicopter bases in and around the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, all equipped with blood products and chest compression machines, and Transport with CareFlight is ideal for transplant programs needing to move patients, organs, and or transplant teams without delay. CareFlight offers membership programs for unlimited medically necessary transports for as low as $49 per year. To find out more about their program, call 972-339-4214 or go to careflight.org. That's F-L-I-T-E dot org. CareFlight, making precious moments count. So there's a couple things that I want to make sure that you talk about, which and one of those things is the the visit by the president, because I or the vice president, mm. not the president, um, which he did come down. And you don't have to go into a whole lot of detail about how that works. But what I do think find very interesting is you talked about him coming and just the debris that was on the runway and how difficult it was just to even get his plane landed. So could you talk a little bit about yeah. that?
1: OK, yeah. So let me get back to the food sure, real quick, sure. because. Uh, you know, word started getting out what we needed here. I mean, word travels fast and you had, and everybody was here. I mean, they were from all over and every, they had their, the, the name of their cities, shoe polished across the back of their windshield. So you can kind of tell who yeah. was who, but uh, people were coming in and, and word was getting out. Hey, they need food. Cause we were eating MREs, man. And I don't know if you've ever had an MRE and I had MREs in the, in the military and they were actually good. MREs? These MREs. It's a meal ready to eat. It's basically a government meal, government packed meal. But these MREs were not made by the same manufacturer that made ours in the military. The ones in the military actually were pretty good. These were horrible. I mean, just basic life sustaining meal kit is what this was. And uh, so people got the word out really quickly. We needed food here like yesterday. So then then you start seeing the Houstonians and the. And they're not Houstonians. I guess they were having their own problem. But people from San Antonio and Austin that were dragging in their their <laughs> their big barbecue grills on <laughs> trailers. And uh, and and so what it, what did people in Texas when they dragged their barbecue grill and what are they going to cook? It's brisket. So uh, for a long time, I couldn't eat a brisket sand, or brisket uh, <laughs> tortilla because they were just you know, there was one on every corner. It smelled good when I drove uh, and in, the red cross, <laughs> Yeah. And then the Red Cross uh, was also they had a food kitchen here, uh, trailer, and they they were asking people because they knew our freezers were were going out. You know, we didn't have electricity. So they they put the notice out to people of town. Bring us everything in your freezer and we'll figure out a way to cook it. And so they started cooking turkeys and, uh, you know, fried uh, french fries and everything you have in your freezer at home. We were bringing it to them and they were cooking preparing it for everybody. Yeah, it was kind of a communal communal supper every night, you know. Uh, But anyway, so uh, uh, so the the question that you'd asked was about the president, the vice president coming. And so right after the storm, we went we went to work picking up sheet metal. And and really the big problem was screws. Everywhere you have sheet metal, you have sheet metal screws. And every time a sheet metal uh, panel or a hanger door or anything made out of sheet metal was tumbling across the airport, it was dropping screws the entire time. And in uh, any time you moved it, if you picked it up and piled it somewhere, you were dropping screws when you did it. So we were picking up screws and I mean, five gallon buckets full of screws. We have golf carts out here that we maintain the airport with. We have uh, other vehicles, too. But, you know, we were driving these golf carts around until they were out of gas or so the batteries were dead, just picking up screws. Every single vehicle we have out here at the airport had screws in the tires. Uh, so one of the biggest things we needed from people flying relief stuff in was we needed to fix a flat and we needed tire repair Ooh. stuff. So they started flying that in and, uh, and, and, there, there's a whole other tangent that I could go down and I may, we may have time for it. I could go down about how the aviation community helped us. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, so they were flying stuff in and, and they were get taking requests, you know, and so we were telling them fix a flat. We don't need diapers for crying out loud. Everybody that had a baby left, we need, right. So uh and you know forget the toothpaste bring us you know tire plugs and uh so they uh, they they did and we we were able to kind of get back up on our feet with just fix a flat and then uh folks with mobile tire repair companies started coming into town and, and volunteering their services and they were helping people on the sides of the roads and stuff because it was still a big issue even downtown but because uh, a lot of the buildings here were just kind of made out of sheep right. out, you know like metal buildings. Yeah. anyway so uh so we have all this cheap metal all over the airport and all up and down the runways and in the infield. And, uh, I've got a crew of three people basically that are working to try to do that. And we're and it's hot, you know, keep in mind, it's still August. You're literally and, working uh, 20
0: hours a day at this point. I mean, you're there pretty much because yeah. Reagan and your son were we gone were, at this point. You were there. Yes. Yeah. So you were, it was mm-hmm. just crazy how much you were there.
1: I was going home. I basically would go home long enough to just make sure my house was okay and that it wasn't open and and I wasn't just, you know, losing everything to mold. Right. You know, Uh, and we did, I had a generator that I was operating at the house where I had some dehumidifiers going and stuff like that, that I would just go home and I would fill it. Well, I ended up being basically uh, the generator maintenance man for a lot of people And, uh, and I won't name them all, but there were a lot of people that I was, that couldn't do it for themselves. Not that I'm, you know, I'm not trying to say that i'm a you know mr volunteer of the year award winner or anything like that but i just knew that they couldn't do it themselves Uh and so i was helping some folks out but you know you start to realize how few hours there are in the day and you get stretched really thin and then you get told that the vice uh,
0: president of the country is coming
1: (laughs) yeah the vice president's coming now on day five well one other interesting thing that happened is again texans help texans texas department of transportation dispatched before the hurricane ever made landfall, they dispatched a crew of five guys to come help out just us at the airport. Well, uh, and actually they had to wait until the hurricane passed before they could come in. But they were some of the first responders. They were definitely our first wow. responders here. And uh, so those guys came in within two days after the hurricane. They, they stayed in San Antonio until they got the all clear that they could come in. I wasn't expecting them. I didn't know. You know, no communication had been sent to me. But even if it had, it would have just gone to a busy signal. But uh, right. so those guys, they came in and uh, and they had a few pieces of equipment. And one of the biggest things that they, that they didn't have was a sweeper. Mm. And I told them we needed a sweeper big time. So they one of their guys jumped in the truck and he ran down to the text yard that's in Rockport. And he basically stole the sweeper that was there because there wasn't anybody there to tell him not to. And he had a key that worked. So he took it and brought it back up here. And it was just basically like a bobcat. Right. Uh, you know, what mm-hmm. a bobcat is a little skid steer. And it had a little six foot rotary sweeper on the front of it not even a vacuum but just a sweeper so they swept our runways and taxiways and just basically swept all the screws and 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 small debris out into the into the apron area the grass around the airport around the around the pavement and then you know we concentrated on me and my crew concentrated on uh, the bigger pieces and making piles out of that the navy used it as a training facility or uses our base as a training facility our airport and so they they sent guys over to help us get it cleaned up too. I mean, obviously they had an interest in it. They wanted to get back to training, so they sent uh, fifty uh, lieutenants and ensigns over here to help clean up. And we got a lot done that day. Uh, one guy got bit by a snake, another guy got stung by a scorpion. Oh there were lots of bee stings, <laughs> lots of sunburns, and mosquito bites. But we got it done. And uh, so, and the snake bite was non non lethal. It was a it was a non poisonous snake, little rat snake, bit this uh-huh. guy. And uh, but anyway, so uh now we have all these piles of debris all over the airport and from the air and i did get to see it from the air a couple of times but it looked like we had asterisks everywhere Mm -hmm. it's like you could you can land here but you know uh you can make the approach to that runway but you know the asterisk being right there it was kind of neat that was funny i have have a vivid imagination (laughs) but anyway uh so all these asterisks are all over the field and then uh and the the tech doc crew that had been here for a couple of days helping us out uh for them it was a good trade because there was nowhere to stay they were staying in the cabs of their trucks so we have a pilot's lounge on the airport uh that's attached to the airport here and it because we had generators running here there was ac so they were we traded them some space to stay and uh and they traded a lot of work for us but nevertheless they're getting ready to leave and the vice president's coming to town so Secret Service is here. You know, they've been here for a little while and then uh, for like uh, almost a day. And then as the vice president, uh, as his motorcade is making its way to back to, to the airport. Now, keep in mind, they flew into Victoria and then he took a windshield tour to Rockport and then he was going to fly out of our airport. So he didn't fly in here. He was only going gotcha. to fly out. Well, they they uh, I guess their expeditionary uh, unit is a uh, is a group of about 25 Marines and five uh, V-22 Osprey helicopters. Those are made by Bell Helicopter right there in Hearst, Texas. But anyway, so the the Ospreys come in, and I'm familiar with Ospreys and and how they operate and everything. So they came in under ground taxi, which means their tires were on the ground and they were rolling in under low low power. And uh, so they staged up right there, and, and a few hours later, when the vice president rolled onto the flight line, secret service told us, you know, Hey guys can just, we're going to lock the terminal down for a minute and we're going to let the the dignitaries and everybody get on board. Texas governor Abbott was here and some members of the cabinet and everything. So they all get out onto these, these five helicopters, plane aircraft helicopters. And, uh, and and you know what the Osprey is? It's a tilt wing Uh helicopter essentially that can fly like an airplane and then also flies, operates like a helicopter. So in other words, it can do basically vertical takeoff and landing. Well, it's a very powerful helicopter at that. And so whenever they got the vice president and everybody on board and they load it up, they take on this whole different set of flight characteristics. Like they get really aggressive now when we got the the principal is on board. We have to get out of this airspace like somebody's going to shoot a missile right. at us. And so they powered up and then they air taxied back to the runway. Air taxi is different than ground taxi because now the wheels are off the ground and there's a considerable uh, amount of rotor wash coming off of the uh, the props and the rotors from the from this, these Ospreys. So, uh, and you got five of them back to back to back, and they're all under. I mean, basically under full power. And uh, and and as they taxied by our asterisks that were all over the ground, which an asterisk again was sheet metal. Uh, and, uh, but they they were basically blowing those things apart, and uh, sheet metal was flying in every oh. direction, and it looked kind of dangerous. But at the same time, uh, we recognize that the sheet metal is now flying back up on the pavement. Mm. It's going, you know, everywhere we just dragged it off of. And again, you know, there's still sheet metal screws hanging on to these, these these panels. And sheet metal screws are going everywhere. And then the vice president and his, the, the, uh, the Marines all took off. Well, I looked at the dot crew and said, you know, you guys are not going anywhere if I have to hold it myself. But So they and they agreed. And so they stayed for another day and helped us clean up. But it delayed us. You know, it was nice having him here. In, uh, and I think it was a great show of, uh, support. Uh, of uh, yeah support for our community to have him here and come. He helped a woman haul some debris to the curb. That was a good photo op for him and, and he's a nice guy nobody will ever say that he's not but it really we didn't need that you know i would just have preferred they just said hey we're here if you need us what can we do and what we needed was send support
0: or for him know. to come later when things might met have been a little yeah bit come worse. later right you
1: know yeah yeah, I thought, right yeah so texas governor has been here multiple times since and it's a lot different now you know when he comes his his uh, security detail uh they They know the way around here pretty well and it, it, and they don't lock us down and and definitely don't hamper our operations when he comes here. Senator Cruz has been here a number of times, you know we love it when he comes here and he doesn't he doesn't lock us down or anything when he does doesn't hamper our operations. but I know how things are when you have the president in town I mean I was in the Air Force I controlled Air Force One. I know that there's not another plane on your scope whenever Air Force one's flying across, so I know and that's, and that's necessarily so. I understand yeah, it, Yeah. but it just didn't help us. Right. Whatsoever. Right.
0: And it's not that it was intentionally trying to be like that. You know, it's definitely a show of support. Um, so I, we only have about five minutes left. And I know you got to get back to work and all sure. that. So one of the things I did want to ask you, um, I just interviewed Bonnie, which she's with our Grand Prairie Historical Organization. And you mentioned mm-hmm. the last time we talked, you don't just lose the, the infrastructure, but you do lose some pieces of history when a town gets blown like sure. that. So, there was one tree in particular you talked to me about um that I thought you don't think about that. Can you talk a little bit about the trees and and how they played into y'all's loss because there was one that had been there for a really long time, right? That yeah.
1: Well yeah, the oldest the oldest tree in Texas is a live oak in Lamar. It's in Aransas County, but it's in Lamar uh which is on the opposite side of the big bridge that I live on uh here and it's it's a thousand years old or better. Wow. Uh so it's been here for a long long time and uh and then around it are what they call its babies or its offspring so these were acorns that had fallen off of this live oak tree and these trees some of them were 500 600 800 Mm. years old Uh, even right here beside the airport we have a couple that are 400 years old so these old trees uh a lot of the older trees around that big live oak tree uh died yeah and or they were uprooted and see the thing about a live oak tree is there's no tap and a lot, of, a lot of trees have a taproot, and that helps anchor it in the ground. Well, these live oak trees don't have taproots. And the sand, Rockport is primarily sand for about 30 feet down. And then you hit a clay, a clay strata. But that sand, uh, you know, just think about when you're at the beach and you start patting the sand close to the water with your hand. And what happens? The water comes up and the sand starts to get mm-hmm. kind of loose. Well, that's what happened. That back and forth that we talked about over and over again, the saturation of water uh, in, the, in the sand eventually loosened the soil enough on a lot of trees that they just fell over. And a lot of trees, uh, the, most of the trees that survived were little trees, really, because they just did they they weren't quite as much of a um, they didn't catch as much wind right. as the big trees did. All the trees lost their leaves. Now you can the next time you get a chance go go out to a live oak, and see one. They're all over North Texas. Just t- take a leaf in between your uh, your your finger and your your index finger and your thumb, and just kind of tug on it and see. Just imagine how many pounds of pressure it takes to pull that mm. thing off every tree was stripped of its leaves and it looked like mars mm. and uh which you know here uh, when you don't have any leaves on the tree that's kind of unusual because live books keep their leaves pretty much all year long so we've always got greenery around here but you just don't realize how lost you get how different everything looks when there's no uh visual mark right exactly know. no there were no street signs anymore there were no there were no traffic right. lights, and so you know, especially on the coming in on the highway, it was really hard to even remember where your exit was. Right, you just have to create a whole new set of markers for yourself. But fortunately,
0: but, y'all kept there. There some the, y'all didn't lose any major historical uh, landmarks, did you?
1: Well, we lost some. There, there were some. A lot of our history was damaged. I'm on the historical right. commission for the county, and uh, and so we're we're still dealing with that. I and mean, a lot of our markers, just our historic markers, you know, the old, the, the mm-hmm, plaques that mm-hmm. you'll see from time to. time, a lot of those were damaged or destroyed. I mean, a a bunch of them. And so our historical commission has been working real hard just to get those, try to get those replaced. There's some holdup right now with the state because I think the foundry that makes those markers uh, is out of business and they're trying to find a new foundry. But uh, it's, it's been a challenge even to get little things like that done. And, uh, and then you got historic places that, that took a lot of damage. You have historic uh, sites Uh that were, that were damaged. And we just don't know where we're at yet. I mean, it's we're we're we don't know what new normal is. We're still taking inventory right. on that, to be honest. and with it's you. three years later. Seventy-seven historical. We had seventy-seven historical sites in Aransas County, and uh, and and right now we've we've evaluated about fifty-seven of them that uh, we that we feel like are okay. We're just still getting through it, you know, one at wow. a time.
0: Well, Mike, I just really appreciate you being here, and I just you know I yeah. just respect the heck out of you. I always have, and and when you went through this and me witnessing. Well, I know you don't want to be claimed as volunteer of the year, but I'll go ahead and say it. You you did a, an amazing job and, <laughs> and your community appreciates it. So thank you so much for being here with me. No,
1: I, I made it look a lot harder than it was. <laughs> and, uh...
0: That is so something you would say. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But uh, I tell you what, I, you you never really know what you can do until you face with some adversity, and I feel kind of fortunate that I got faced with it before I was too old to have done anything yeah. about it. And uh, and and for, I, I feel like I reacted like i like I uh, like I planned yeah. on. You know, I didn't surprise mm-hmm. myself, I didn't underwhelm myself. So, uh, but I think most people would probably find that they would do the same thing. I just uh, did what I had to do to survive and protect the yes. people I love.
0: Well, they really appreciate it, and you know. You're, you're one of my, you're one of my very best friends and I really am honored to have yeah, known you and I'm just not to have known you, to know
1: that, you. That feeling is mutual. <laughs> that feeling is mutual, Jenna. I'm so glad that I met oh. you and you're such a good friend of my wife. Yeah. So yeah, well, that.
0: thanks. Have a great day.
1: I'll do it. I'm already All right. doing it.
0: Sounds good. Bye. Uh-huh. Talk to you
1: later. Bye-bye.